Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Namaste, everyone. Welcome to the Charbuk Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right, the Bora Gavaskar Trophy is all but done and dusted, uh, but uh, we have many other things to talk about. So, you know, the first podcast with Jared had a great response. Uh, I thought it would be good, but it was more than good. It was amazing. Uh, and I got tons of emails saying that, why don't you guys do it on a regular feature? Then Jared and I were talking offline and we were like, oh, what the hell? Let us do it then. So now, both Jared and I, we will be talking regularly. And as always, Jared is back on the podcast. So what's up, buddy? How are you doing? Not too bad. So oh. I, bl- I missed your entire intro. I'm sure it was at me. I've computer. So I've just been trying, definitely padding it back in. But I'm sure everything you said was perfect and uh, that you talked about how handsome I am. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I, I just finished basically, I, I think the busiest period I've had covering cricket in a very long time. In fact, I don't think I've ever covered as many games concurrently as I was um, over the last month, month and a half or so. Um, you know, I was commentating, I commentated South Africa, England, then New Zealand, England, then Bangladesh, England. Obviously, India, Australia was playing. The Women's World Cup was on. Then the Women's IPL started. And then New Zealand, Sri Lanka. So I'm not sure what time zone I'm in uh, or what uh, what um, plane of thought I have in my head. But I've seen a lot of cricket. I'm not sure I remember which balls were bowled in which match. But I've seen a lot. See, ha- have you ever done that when you're commentating on one game and you start taking names of the other games that you're watching later on? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you have. Oh, so I was I was commentating recently. So I was doing it for TalkSport. And because we got the rights three days before the tournament, we couldn't go out to Bangladesh, right? So we're in London, but India, Australia are playing. And I've got two screens. And one of the screens is like the size of a house. It's way too big. I'm in this little booth, this radio booth. And the screen's so big. And then in front of me, I've got this. Tiny screen, and usually what happens is you have the live feed here, and you have the um, TV feed here. So it's about five seconds delay. So even if I miss something, I can I can catch up, man. I can see each ball twice. But because India were playing and, and Australia were playing, and we we had to we were also broadcasting that game when when we weren't live, so we had to keep updating people. Going, of course, tomorrow morning at three thirty a.m. you'll be able to listen to live ball by ball from India, Australia, and oh, and and so and so has just gone out. But the problem for me was I had the two screens on top of each other. And just occasionally, I'd be like, oh, and he's got an... It, no, uh, uh, Shakib is bowling to Phil Salt. 
right? Because I'm just there's so much cricket in front of my face at any one time. We also we had that. Um, uh, there was one night where the New Zealand England game was getting a bit boring. I had India Australia up, and I had an NBA game up. I, I don't. I was probably giving updates from the NBA game if we're being honest. Um, so yeah, those things do happen at times. Uh, it's it's um, uh, there's a lot of problems with, with commentating off TV. Uh, but one of the, mo- the 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 basic ones is it's the same as anyone else watching TV that it's you're not at the ground all your attention is not in front of you if you know what I mean so if someone sends you a, a text message you pick it up because you're just watching cricket on the TV it's not the- and then you suddenly realize oh I have to be focusing on this because this is my job this is what they pay me to do so it's a whole different world um, and that's not even including the times when someone gets a top edge and you literally lose the ball and you have no idea if someone's hit a six or if they're about to be caught so you have to say. Oh, and that's got high. Oh, it's really high. Oh, it's so high. Uh, and he's out. Or, uh, oh, it's six. <laughs> um, so there's lots of funny little things when, uh, when recording off the TV that you don't get normally. But uh, if, if, from a commentator's perspective or a commentary perspective, uh, obviously, right, if you're commentating in a test match, there are, let's get real, whether we like it or not, there are dull periods in a test match until and unless it is the indoor pitch and there is no dull period in that mm. whole match. But uh, let's say Ahmedabad, right? You're, you're, you're in Ahmedabad mm. and you're commentating there. I mean, there were moments even in the commentary setup that we had in the test series and where, you know, I'm not talking about Hayden or uh, Karthik or anyone for that matter, the entire team. You obviously knew that, you know, what am I going to talk about? It is a dead pitch. Nothing is happening. And then some odd ball would turn and they they start talking about things. But I guess when it comes from the attention span perspective, I think T20 and ODIs would be way more tougher, right? No. T20 is the easiest to commentate because you don't need to worry about any conversations. You don't actually need to have a conversation available because even the the boring middle overs, and even T20 has boring middle overs, you still the game is moving forward so fast that just updating the audience on where the game is um, and what the tactics might be going ahead is huge. Whereas in a one one day game to the hardest to commentate, it's an hour longer to begin, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're commentating, you also don't get the two breaks that you do in a test match, so you don't get a tea and a lunch break. So again, you know, for you know, if you're if you're looking at a one day now where there's a couple of wickets being bowled and there's any breaks, it's probably you know three and a half to four hours slots. So that's a lot of work to do in one go. But one day is really between the tenth over and the thirty fifth over. Uh, you have to bring conversations. If you don't have conversations, um, you you have a trouble. So if it first ten and last fifteen are absolutely fine, but that big chunk in the middle, uh, if you if you're someone who's not very good at conversation, that's when those sorts of commentators really get caught out. And then the other, the other one for test, it's a little bit different in tests because every time you go on air, unless there's a collapse happening or um, someone is about to make a milestone, you actually have to every time come up with a conversation, right? So the best commentators will have one thing. So, you know, you work with someone like Craig McMillan or uh, Bumble, um, you, know, the, you know, Athers, they will come onto air with a with something that they're going to talk about for the next 20 minutes, because they know that they have to. And obviously the best ball by ballers, they do that all the time. You know, almost every time I go into a ball by ball stint in a test match, I have one, one little clip, one little thing that hopefully will start a conversation of five to 10 minutes. And you don't also, you don't want to spend it unless it's really dull. When you come on air, you don't want to do it straight away. You want to wait to see if the cricket's good. 
Oh, nothing's happened in the cricket. Now, I'm just going to pop this in, see if this takes, you know, Jeremy Coney or Steve Harmison or Darren Goff or whoever I'm working with, see if they get into this topic and then we can then we can do it somewhere else. So the, there is a different f- format of all of those. But one day cricket, because it has the two extremes, it has the T20 side of things, but then it also has the, the test side of things. It really does test you and a commentator in a way that the other two don't. Basically, any sports commentator in the world should be able to commentate a T20 game as long as they understand cricket, right? Commentating test cricket is a whole different thing. You need to be a brilliant conversationalist. Uh, you need to be absolutely brilliant at noticing small details um, and everything else. And you, and if you're on radio, you also have to be brilliant at uh, painting a picture, right? You know, no, no one really needs a picture in T20. There's, there's a palm tree over there um, and whatever. I can't even tell you about the palm trees because this guy's just reverse switch hit something into his face, right? Um, so it, that, they are very, very different. And then, you know, that's, and I'm coming from a radio back, background, TV, they change, they all change a little bit again, um, you know, and, and the audiences are different too. You usually, for T20, you get a younger, more strategically driven audience. They don't want to hear about what meal you had last night or how you got to the ground they want to hear what the matchup is right they want to hear how this how does this help my fantasy team or my bet is what the younger audience want to know in that t20 game yeah i i get where you're coming from in fact something very interesting that i have observed there are only two sports that i follow one is test cricket or ODIs. I don't follow T20s. And I follow mixed martial arts a lot. I I love mixed martial arts. I follow it regularly. In fact, I even do podcasts on them. But the one person that I've followed a lot in mixed martial arts history is Joe Rogan, because a lot of people don't know this. Uh, Yes, Joe Rogan is the biggest podcaster in the world. But in the world of mixed martial arts, he is a legend. He is known as a mixed martial arts commentator who joined the Ultimate Fighting Championship in the mid-90s. And he has been on that commentary gig now for a decade plus. And it's very interesting to see how Rogan, the podcaster, and Rogan, the commentator, has actually gelled very well. Because people don't realize, when, when you see uh, UFC, uh, UFC pay-per-view, you just see the main event or maybe the co-main event. But UFC and Rogan's commentary stints on a pay-per-view starts from a fight pass prelim and goes right to the end. So on an average, Joe Rogan will be commentating at least 13 to 15 fights. So that's like an eight-hour gig. That's like a one-day test match gig. That, mm. That's what Joe Rogan is doing. Obviously, there are a couple of other people who are joining. But, but I think Joe Rogan's ability to be a great podcaster and a conversationist as a podcaster, although he's not doing play-by-play on, on the UFC commentary, he's doing color and he's breaking things down from yeah. a grappling perspective because he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu and a taekwondo practitioner himself. Another, I don't think so. A lot of people know his martial arts pedigree. Joe Rogan is a very good martial artist. But it, it actually helps him a lot, which I did notice that Rogan, the podcaster, can be, can be seen as Rogan, the commentator. And I don't mean this in a negative way. I actually Mm. mean this. So I could relate to what you were saying in the test matches because I could imagine Joe Rogan going through. So has your stint in in doing these long-form chats actually helped you too? Well, what? so I I think I learned podcasting through being on something called Test Match Sofa. Are you aware of what Test Match Sofa was at all? I've heard about it, but I don't know a lot about it. So Test Match Sofa was, um, it was Dan Norcross, who's now on TMS. 
um, and some other people who who started their own version, which is Gorilla Cricket, um, which has probably now been around a lot longer than Test Match Sofa ever was. But Test Match Sofa was it started on Dan's sofa, where we got a bunch of microphones and we recorded the uh, Test Matches uh, audio and sent it out to the world. Uh, so I missed the. I think I started during their second series, um, which was over Christmas, and it, it was mostly you know, I was one of the few professionals that was involved at that point. And so, you know, during Christmas, not everyone wants to come and commentate a test match in South Africa. Uh, we then, not long after that, we did a series that was Bangladesh versus England, where the start times were 3 a.m. Um, so, again, you can imagine people who work normal day jobs weren't coming in. So, we did whole stints of test matches. Uh, and I wouldn't do the weekend. So, I do all the weekday stuff. Weekends, they always had a crew that would come in and, and commentate on the weekends. But during the weekdays, I would do that. And so, you know, Bangladesh, England, start at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday morning uh, um, and you know we there would be two or three of us some, in fact one night there was three of us all night um, uh, until the close of play and we had to commentate and entertain and understand how to bring up different conversations all the time um, and I think that's really where I learned my broadcasting skills and test match so far it's weird that you say uh, you know that Joe Rogan has the two different sides. Test Match Sofa was really a podcast commentary service by accident. You know, it wasn't that, that Dan meant that, but it's part of, you know, maybe the way that Dan is. And then the way that we had various guests coming through, you know, we would have, you know, celebrities come through, former players would come through, um, everyone would come through. And it really was like an eight hour or seven hour running podcast. Right. And I learned how to call deliveries um, in, in, you know, uh, there, but then I also learned how to do the co-commentary. I then learned how to do the analysis, but most importantly was I'm commentating and some famous English pod, uh, 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 comedian has entered the place, but I'm 10 minutes into a stint. I don't know who this person is because I'm Australian, but they're very famous. And now I have to learn how to bring them in from a commentary point of view. So I have to teach them how cricket commentary works. So the pattern of that, but I also have to get the most out of them because otherwise Dan's going to be like, we only have this person for an hour, like, you know, get as much as you can. So I did that for, I think, from the, uh, the end of 2009 until probably the end of uh, 2010. I think that's when I, I probably started with Crick Info. Uh, and so for a year, that's what you had to do. And it was like being, it was kind of like being at a community radio station, except people were actually listening. Um, and uh, it was a combination of three, four different jobs. You know, some days you were producing, some days we were trying to come up with other content. So for me, um, that changed it a lot. I think. I always, I remember I, my first proper commentary stint. So I'd done a lot of test match so far. And then I went and did ABC for Australia when, um, uh, in 2013, 14, when Mitchell Johnson was at the end of his great uh, run of test matches. And I commentated with uh, Jim Maxwell, you know, um, Neil Manthorpe, uh, you know, really top quality people. And, and I sort of said to Neil Manthorpe, how did, how did I go after, my, after the first test? And he sort of looked at me and he's like, what do you mean? And I said, how, how did I go? It's my first time commentating. He's like, it's not your first time commentating. I said, well, it's my first time doing a real job. How did I go? And he said, look, I, I don't know what your future is as a broadcaster, but your interesting thing is that most people can only do ball by ball or they can only do um, co-commentary. So what you're talking about with Joe Rogan, that side of thing. And my big skill was always the ability to be able to do everything. So in radio, there's essentially three jobs in cricket radio. There's commentary. There's co-commentary, the sort of the stuff you were talking about, the color sort of stuff. And then the third job is the analysis job or the scorer's job. 
I'm the only person who can go between all three. And I think a lot of that comes back to a who I am as a broadcaster, but also a lot comes back to in those days of what I was doing on Test Match Sofa. And then the other side of it is, as you said, that podcasting um, angle of, you know, learning how all these different things come together. So it's a very, very different, um, it's a very, very different way that I broadcast. If you, when I do commentary with, uh, like, especially a BBC commentator, they have a lot of trouble with me because I say, so many extra words than everyone else says so you'll get if you, there's some great old radio clips of cricket online where you've literally and uh lakers coming to the top of his mark he's just adjusting his trousers here and he's coming over the wicket uh, right-handed uh, uh barrington is facing up barrington looks resplendent his shirt is uh three buttons undone at the moment i'm not sure why but he is like comes in that familiar action of his and he delivers and barrington just turns out around the corner and they're they think about one, and there isn't one there. So, Fred, what did you uh, what did you think of that ball? Yeah, it was a, it was a good ball. He was probing at leg stump, and uh, and and it finished. That's traditional radio cricket commentary, right? And then you get me on, and I'm talking more than the the comment. The commentator's finding how they're going to get the description of the bowler in, right? So it's a completely different world, and I think a lot of that is podcasting. And there's a lot of old school cricket commentary people who don't like my style at all. And there's a new, there's almost like a there's a new wave of us. And I think Adam Collins is probably one. Um, and there's a few more th coming through that we are trained to sort of give our opinion. Whereas the old co the old commentator's job was, it's sunny here, Laker, twirls the ball in his hand, he bowls. So former cricketer, can you tell me why he did that? Whereas now it's like, that was interesting. Did you see he did this? Why do you think, uh, you know, why do you think that might've happened? No, I think you're wrong. Actually, maybe it's this. So it has changed. And a lot of that is that a lot of us are used to having a show on Crick Info, a show on Crick Buzz, uh, you know, a documentary, whatever that may be, you know, our, our own podcasts, our, you know, our own YouTube channels. So we are used to people listening to our opinions. So the whole uh, structure of modern cricket commentary has actually changed because of that. And you notice it on TV. It used to be you could tell exactly who the person was on TV who would say, um, uh, this is the bowler, this is the batter, this has just happened. Now, it's much harder to tell who is the lead commentator because they all kind of meld, especially now they've got the third person in, which is the huge change in TV cricket commentary. Yeah. Now it's more like a conversation. That, again, to go back to your point, is more like podcasting. And a lot of those guys who are on TV now, you know, Ian Bishop has done a lot of podcasts. Mike Atherton has done a lot of podcasts. They, they, you know, NASA has been on quite a few podcasts. Sky have their own podcast. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, they do. You know, TalkSport have their own podcast. So people are now so used to podcasting that it is seeping into cricket commentary and changing it. But also that other mode, it's a very English. Uh, this is your role and you have no opinions at all. You're in, you're the BBC and this other person, they're the sun. It's like, that doesn't make any sense, right? It, you know, I always used to say to Harsha Bogle and Neil Manthorpe, what? give me your opinion you've been following this game for 30 years like this other cricketer retired five minutes ago he doesn't even know the old great players you know the all the stories you surely you should be doing that but they were so trained not to do that that it's a really tricky thing so i think because i came through talk sport uh, talk sport because i came through test match sofa and that podcasting as you said it's all completely different to the way that i i broadcast and you know on talk sport on, on one day i can do all three different roles um and most people don't do that in a lifetime <laughs> let alone in one day yeah it's it, it's it's a changing time and it's a changing demography of people one of the biggest reasons i can uh 
in UFC, the pay-per-views are usually Daniel Cormier, Joe Rogan, and uh, John Anik. That is the combination. And the reason, like a lot of people who are very much into the technical, like one of my favorite sports journalists in mixed martial arts is Luke Thomas. And Luke doesn't enjoy the Cormier-Rogan combination is because Luke's a nerd. He wants to know the technical stuff. He doesn't care. But Daniel Cormier and Joe Rogan come off as a very bro kind of a thing. You know, what's up, bro? Kind of, but people love that. People don't want a very serious breakdown all the time. They will get the breakdown. But yeah, so I understand. But now let's get into the substack we're talking about. So I'm going to start with your March 7th substack. We were always going to get to the main topic. But, you know, that's how podcasts are. They, they intend to exactly. do something and they go somewhere. But that, that's the thing. But so... This was, I, I really enjoyed reading this in, in India and the three-year run drought. Now, before we get into the data or anything, because I, I like, I read it two, three times to understand what, what, what you're saying, but am I wrong in assuming that what changed, the pitches changed? And yeah. that's just, that's all it is. It is all down to the pitches. It's not all it is because I think, in any, let's say let's say the exact same thing happened in uh, 2010 to 2013, right? So mm -hmm. India just decide on a whim we're going to make our pitches unplayable at home. Fine, the players then would have gone away, and the rest of the world people were making runs everywhere. So you would have seen a drop, but you would have seen a drop from players averaging 50 to players averaging 45, you know, maybe even high high 40s, right? The problem here is that away from home has just been as bad, right? So the oh, it, it, there's nowhere for an Indian batter to go now. In fact, the best place to go and bat in world cricket at the moment is Pakistan, right? Mm -hmm. And the Indian batters don't go there. So the only, the only place that you can go to make any runs really has been Pakistan. The only other one has been a little bit of New Zealand. New Zealand's been a really good place to bat at times as well. But you do have to survive that new ball in New Zealand. Whereas in Pakistan, you don't need to survive anything, right? You just pop out there and, and you make runs. You and I you and I probably just put on a 50 partnership at Pakistan while we were um, having the start of this podcast. It's been that easy to score runs there. So it's the combination of the two things. If India had just dropped their pitches down, so we saw a couple of years ago, um, South Africa dropped their pitches down, but their batters didn't all lose their batting averages. And the reason was, is the rest of the world was still fairly easy to make runs in. You take that away, which is which happened before, and then India decide to make their pitches harder. You know, there's the, 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 the it's so hard to re-educate people on the way that they think about these things because you look at Laxman, you look at Ganguly. You know, these are these are sort of more the middle level of Indian batters in the past, and they're still averaging you know low thirties, high forties, mid forties um, from majority of their time. Right now, that would be one of the best players in the team. That's how far things have changed. And that the, the difference isn't the players. The difference is the conditions. And we know that because it's happened to everyone. If it happens to one or two players, you go, oh, that person's old. I remember when, when Coley's form dipped, someone said to me, I think he's lying about his age. And he's actually 37 and not 33. And I was like, okay, how does that explain why no one, you know, why Pajara and Rahane aren't making any runs as well, right? Like there's a, there's a huge thing. And I think that... Generally, what happens is you folk, what, what cricket coverage does and what cricket fans do, and we've been trained by all cricket media, really, outside of maybe Crick Info, but, but traditional cricket media, newspapers and radio and TV, to, to focus on who the next person who's being dropped is, right? And the problem with that is what you do is you go, um, oh, well, Rahane, do you remember for two years, that's all we ever heard about Kushal, isn't it? Rahane, Rahane has to go. Rahane has to go. The minute Rahane goes, Pajara has to go. 
right? Then it's K.O. Rahul has to go. Then it's has maybe Virat Kohli has to go. And you suddenly go, well, wait a minute. That's a pattern. That doesn't make any sense. And the same thing happened with England, right? And, you know, we've seen the same thing with other countries as well. Not quite as steep as India's, just because the averages for India, India went from here to here. So, yes, basically what, what the big drop in the Indian top sixes batting averages come from, very simply, the, the fact that before the players were getting inflated averages based on the fact that India traditionally has been one of the greatest places ever to bat. And now that it's, well, now you could argue it's maybe one of the worst places in world cricket to bat. But what is fascinating in this entire process is that even if you look at India's away batting too, as, and you rightly say, it's not like something to take home even over there. It might be better than what they're doing over home. So, so is it one of those weird anomalies that when it came to going out of form, it just seems to happen that everybody in that damn team went out of form simultaneously at the same time with Rishabh Pant being the exception and Ravi Jadeja being the exception? They're very interesting because they bat lower down in the order. And that's why in this piece, I focused on the top order a little bit more. I know. Rishabh yeah. comes at five or six. So five is very interesting because last year was the first year in test cricket that number fives had their highest average ever. I think that's right. I think um, Katakei Date wrote that. That's really interesting, isn't it? That tells you something very specific about world cricket. Where is the problem? The brand new ball. Yeah, right? top four. Right. And in India, we know that also happened. So... That's why five is the five is the swing point. So there are some look at Besto, he made a lot of runs at five, right? Um, Daryl Mitchell, you know, we've had a few number fives who've made runs. We haven't had anyone in the top four that really made runs outside of batting a lot in Pakistan. So there is a reason why that has happened. But no, so we know it's not a lack of form because we know everyone in the world did it. And we also we can track the batters before and after. So 2017, halfway through seven, 2017, it's like someone comes in and turns international runs off. It's incredible. You it, Literally, up until that point, every year, we, the, the global average was over 30 uh, runs per wicket. Sometimes it was 31, 32. As I said, there were years uh, early on, uh, you know, the period from 2000 to 2016, why those players have such high averages in that period. Someone like Kumar Sangakara, have a look at his batting average. He batted exactly in the sweet spot of when batting averages globally were at their highest, Right. 2017, suddenly that all changes. And so Steve Smith, Virat Kohli, um, uh, um, some of the other guys, someone like Dean Elgar, uh, Azza Ali, these guys were all making masses of wickets. And then straight away, everyone around the world stops making runs, right? So we can track that back to what we think is um, two, two very big changes. The first one is that 2017 is when the wobble ball gets this. Um, uh, sent around the world right and so the wobble ball is a delivery where you can't read it until the ball hits the pitch and the ball reacts probably even more violently than it would normally if it just hit the seam and it can also go both ways which generally with seam bowling if you're bowling seam up you're probably either angling it in or angling it away the wobble ball takes away all the all the great stuff that international batters have which is their ability to read the wrist to see what you're going to do to watch the ball in flight suddenly all that's taken away from them and the wobble ball certainly has a big impact the second thing that happens is in 2020, the uh, seams of the kookaburra balls are reinforced with plastic underneath. They take away some of the cork and the string and they put more plastic on because their balls were rubbish before. So they had to fix their balls. That happens to coincide with the wobble ball, which wants a stronger seam. And now you've got plastic under that ball, keeping the seam stronger. I think they maybe even made their seam slightly more pronounced as well. The averages are just bad at this point. 
right? So we know it's not form because we can look at the batters and the bowlers. Have a look at Saranga Lakmal and Ishan Sharma's records before and after 2017. Saranga Lakmal, I've said this before, I think he was a talented bowler, but he was on his way to being the worst seen bowler we have ever had in the history of Test cricket, right? And and I'd seen him bowl. I thought that was unfair. But obviously, bowling in Sri Lanka is a stupid job as a seam bowler, right? Uh, you know, in India, you get a little bit of a reverse swing. The, the SG does something early on. You've got something. In Sri Lanka, it's literally, you're going to bowl because the spinners have got sore fingers. <laughs> That's the only reason ever to bowl. So we have all the world's best batters dropping and all the world's worst bowlers getting better around, from 2017 to 2023, right? Tim Southey. Right, goes from being an average bowler to being one of the best bowlers in the world. These aren't mistakes, right? This isn't a form thing. We know that a couple of things changed. You then, so that's how we know that some of these players weren't in bad form. That doesn't mean that Rahane, Pujara, and Kohli didn't have other issues, right? Because I think there were other issues available there. But when it's also Agarwal, and when it's also, um, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, all the top order from India, but it's also all the top order from England. It's also all the top order from Australia. It's also all the top order from South Africa. We start to get a point of this isn't just that. And the fact that Jadeja, when he bats in the top order compared to when he bats in the bottom order, there's also a change. Is There's so many things that tell us that this is not form. And what it actually is, is that the game itself is changed. And you can, it's really easy to track that. Global averages is one of the best things of telling us where cricket is at any one time because you can tell when something has changed. And you can track it. This isn't just test cricket because Kookaburra changed the white ball as well. And you can actually see that the early overs in T20 cricket and one-day cricket also changed. Go back to that last World Cup. It was one of the most bowler-friendly World Cups that you're ever going to see. Some of that was being played early season in Australia. But the other thing is that those new balls just do all sorts of things early on, and they don't go soft the way that the old Kookaburra balls do. So you can't bash a couple of boundaries and hope the ball goes soft straight away. And so things have changed. So we know that the game has changed. That doesn't mean that individual all, – all batters are going to have individual fluctuations, right, and, and different form and everything else. That is a given. But when everyone does it as a unit, you have to say this is not about uh, individual form. Uh, of a, Seven players haven't got bad all at the same time. There is actually a bigger issue here. And we know that. And India, as I said, compounded that by purposely making their pitches harder to bat on at home, which is just if you're, if you're, an, international, if you're an international quality Indian top order player at the moment, that's the worst thing they could have done to you. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 it's unbelievable because Rohit Sharma has managed to keep an average of above seventy, if I remember correctly, at home, and uh, it's he, he's actually the exception and one of the biggest. But he's not the exception. Be- he still dropped. It's just yeah. that he dropped from a massive height, right? Yeah. So even at home, he still at, he he went from I think he went from averaging the in the two year period, the three year period that I looked at, he was averaging forty four. Uh, this this is all cricket. This isn't just at home. But the period before that, as you said, he was averaging so high that. But forty four is fine, right? Like that is you wouldn't even look at that. But the fact is, he still dropped. Still tells you that something had changed. And with Rohit, we also have to take one thing into consideration that he has not played a lot of matches too. Mm. Uh, he was injured. So I think uh, maybe his batting would have suffered even more if he was playing in comparison to not playing. Yeah. Also, you'd have to say, you know, as two people who've watched a lot of this cricket, Rohit was the person who handled the Indian pitches the best out of anyone other than a one-off Joe Root knock. You wouldn't look at any other player. um, You know, you have to 
Travis Head and, and Cameron Green and Shubman Gill, they came in kind of at the end of that. So we'll push them to the side. But if any other player who sort of played all around that era, he was the person that, you know, you have a look at the, the knocks he played against England and then the knock he played Kenny. against Australia. Yeah, no yeah. one's playing, but no one else was playing that kind of innings, right? So you have to give him credit. But the fact that his average still drops tells you again that it's not form related and that it really is that those conditions are just so, so tough. And you know, one one more thing that we would like to, if I would like to test this is next time India has a series, India should send Akshar number three. And let's see if Akshar can score the same runs when he's at number three. Or, or it is literally what you're saying, eventually after over, because the top four basically play out the first 30-40 overs and then the ball becomes relatively softer and easier to bat and then the lower order comes. I'm not taking anything away from them. I mean, they no. still score runs. But but the point is, it is relatively easier with a. It's uh, it, this to put it this way. It's very hard in these Indian pitches to play Ravichandran Ashwin with a new ball than in with a 40, 50 year old ball. Yeah. So I think this is something we don't talk about enough with spin conditions, right? We focus so much on the old ball when it comes to seamers, but it's only recently that I worked this out that actually, you know, spinners should be bowling with the new ball just as much as seamers should be bowling with the new ball. But I think especially in the Western culture, the idea was the new ball bowlers were all seamers and then you threw the ball to the spinner. And it's really been, I would say, I would say that Jadeja and Ashwin are a big part of the change in this, of getting the new ball straight away. And partly because they're both good at bowling with the new ball. And I think some of it comes from T20 cricket because you have to bowl with a new ball more often. It's not an easy thing for all spinners to do. Uh, Graham Swan, for instance, just couldn't grip it in his fingers. No matter what he did, it just didn't come out right with that new ball. Whereas that's not a problem for Ashwin and Jadeja. And we're now seeing a whole generation of spinners who are just used to bowling with the new ball. But when you look at the numbers, and, and the, it's obvious right? When we make, when we have a look at it, because what the new ball does is, in, and the, these Indian pitches were juiced up to, to be inconsistent, right? What makes it more inconsistent is the brand new ball because the brand new ball skids, right? And then it has a more prominent seam. So when it grips, it really grips. And what happens as the ball gets softer is the inconsistent bounce you can you can handle it. Suddenly you see, you know, you see Akshar getting a, a ball um, bouncing low and he just drops his bat on it suddenly. And you just like, well, why couldn't the top order do that? That's because when it happened to the top order, it happened at a quicker speed, right? And he has the ability to be able to do that. And it's the same with the spin. It, 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 it spins, but it's been slower. Whereas it's that quick spin that really causes you a problem. So you're right. There's no way Akshar would have ended up with the batting record he would have if he batted in the top three uh, in this tournament. And, and we know that based on Jadeja. And we also know that just having a look at what the top order players did once they got settled um, uh, in, well, there weren't many of them in this series, but in general, what they've done um, in places like India, once they've got settled and the ball has got older. Um, so there, there is a big, big difference with that. And it's really interesting. It, this is this might be going forward, because we don't know what the Indian pitchers are going to be like at home. But going forward, it'd be interesting to see if SG can make a ball that helps Indian bowlers more by just staying, or not just Indian bowlers, but, finger spinners and, 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 and wrist spinners more by just staying harder for longer. Because I don't, until recently, some of the research I did on what has happened in modern cricket, Kookaburra weren't aware that their ball had changed things as much as, as I had, had worked out, right? The ICC, I think, as far as I'm aware, are now looking into what has happened with the white ball based on my, my work, right? So no one knew. And I stumbled into this. I'm not a genius. It was just, you know, a nerd guy looking for random things. And I think with SG, it's the same thing. We now know, and BCCI might be able to say to them, do you know what? Do you know what we want? It's more exciting when the ball's a little bit harder. And that we don't want the back 40 overs to be, you know, 
uh, was it uh, Trent Murphy making a, a Tom Murphy's sorry making a, a, a for, what do you make forty odd um, just because the ball the, the steam's gone out of the ball? Can you make us a ball that does more or less everything that the current one does, but just stays harder for longer? Right? Is there a way that we can do that? You know, uh, you know, can we invest some money into SG as a company and make that happen? Um, and then uh, then that would be a huge advantage for India because Ashwin would always be a threat rather than you know those those other periods. So those sorts of things are really really interesting and. You know, we've seen in baseball that baseball, the balls are owned by Major League Baseball, right? And so they tinker with them. If they want more home runs, they tinker with the ball. If they want less home runs, they tinker with the ball. And in cricket, the ICC had to be told that Kookaburra had completely changed uh, everything in their game and they didn't know. And that's because Kookaburras are just a tiny little company in suburban Melbourne, right? SG, again, a small company. Dukes, another small company. These aren't, this isn't Adidas and Nike. Right. This isn't a huge, these aren't huge companies. And so they're just trying to survive. You know, Kookaburra changed their ball because of all the bad press they'd gotten about their ball. They didn't change it because they wanted to improve cricket. They didn't want people yep. to keep slagging off their balls. Yeah. And imagine in a scenario like this, I was just thinking about it after reading your Substack that right now, ICC has changed the rules with uh, you cannot add saliva to the ball, right? They have changed the rules. So it has actually disproportionately affected, especially fast bowlers in India, because fast bowlers in India would use saliva and they would use the reverse swing. And that used to be a huge weapon for Indian fast bowlers or Pakistani fast bowlers when they came to India or any fast bowler for that matter. Now that that rule is not allowed, it's actually in that sense... It was like I, I used to laugh when I saw this entire series that I wouldn't say that for the Indian bowlers, I thought Shami bowled beautifully in the mm -hmm. in the series. Shami was actually menacing. And if people remember, he he took some crucial breakthroughs. But when India was playing Australia, it was quite clear after Kuneman came into the attack and they had a three spin attack where Cummins played once and uh, you had Stark, the left armor, playing two test matches. Mm. They would look forward to Stark and Cam Green come and bowl. It, it mm. was, it it was visibly obvious that the batsmen were happy that you know Kohli started scoring runs the moment Stark came in. He was like, okay, finally I don't have to dance around or something. And and if that is the case, and if they change the rule of adding the saliva, then will anybody ever score runs in India? <laughs> well, so they'll never go back to the saliva. I think that's done. Um, I think, you know, it's probably one of those things where when you think about it, it never really made any sense <laughs> um, to do it. So um, it wasn't just a sliver though. So reverse swing starts to die around 2017. Uh, goes back to that date we were talking about before. And there's two things that basically killed reverse swing before that, that ICC rule that you talked about completely buries it, right? The first thing is that when the wobble ball comes about, you have to keep the ball in pristine condition. You can't bang it into the surface because you need the seam to be as prominent as possible for as long as possible. So teams are like, well, wait a minute. We can we can bowl with this ball for 20 overs. Then we can beat the death out of it for 20 overs and hope it reverses. But then we're going to have a crappy ball, right, for the last 40 overs. And we might be able to get it to reverse one more time. We probably won't. Now, teams were like, well, wait a minute, we can get the ball to wobble for about 35, 40 overs. Then worst case scenario, we can then bang it in, in at the end and maybe still get a chance of reverse swing. But because, as I said, the global average dropped, half the teams were already bowled out. You didn't even need to worry about reverse swing. The second thing was what happened to Australia, right? If you've ever seen a cricket team get reverse swing more than two games in a row, someone has tampered with the ball, right? From 
and when I say tamper with the ball, I mean everything from have a look at international cricket. You love this. This is my favorite thing. Watch international cricket when they're bowling with the ball, when they're bowling to get the ball to swing conventionally, or when they're bowling to get the ball to wobble. All those fielders suddenly can get the ball right over the wicketkeeper's hands every single time, right? And then five overs later, these big, strong, fast bowlers, suddenly all their throws hit the rough part of the pitch over and over again, and they can't get it in. It's, it's incredible how often that happens. And you can, for, you know, for when you're commentating, it's great, because the minute you say that, you, you feel, oh, they're going for reverse now. Um, and you can see it, it's that clear. Um, I remember an umpire when I was working for a cricket team, I won't say who, but we were throwing the ball into the surface to get it to reverse. And the umpire said, I, I, something wrong with your arm, mate. Can you not get it in from 40 meters away? <laughs> but that was the first, that was the gentle warning to say, I can see what you're doing. Then there's obviously things with fingernails. <clears throat> you know, I don't know if you know this, but players use the uh, same stuff that um, mountain climbers use on their fingernails to strengthen their fingernails. Uh, obviously, there was the whole thing with the zips on on the trousers. Uh, there, was a, there was a theory going around at one stage that all the county teams that had zips on their trousers got more reverse swing than the, the teams that didn't. Plenty of different things. Uh, what Australia did was came from another country. Um, I've never been, I, you know, I, I know the story, but I don't have enough uh, facts on it to, to name the other country, but it came from another country. And basically what, what they were doing is Australia were tampering with the ball as they walked out to the middle. So teams walk out in a huddle and the umpires throw the ball and the guy in the middle just keeps it low. There's no way the cameras can get to them as long as the camera isn't um, above and they, and they have someone checking that and they would do it. The reason that didn't happen that day is they'd already pre-got the ball ready for reverse. Then it had rained. And so they had to re-get the ball ready for reverse again because it had got a bit damp. Um, and that's why Cameron Bancroft panicked and got, got it out. He wasn't supposed to have it out, but, you know, um, he did because I believe the bowlers were desperate for the ball to reverse again. Funny how they didn't get suspended, but that's another story. But um, so th when that happened, what starts to happen around the world is all the cameras start following the ball a lot more. Right. And so people couldn't do those sorts of things as much. And, you know, you know, the ICC would ask things, match referees would get the binoculars out. So, so myself, George Dobell and Phil Brown, we knew that Australia were tampering with the ball before that summer. In, uh, against South Africa and and uh, uh, Phil Brown had, the photographer had his long lens out me and um, George had our binoculars on trying to work out when they were tampering with the ball because we knew they were but we didn't know how and when and we couldn't see it now with all the cameras and and people even having smartphone cameras and everything else so all those things happen and then you get the saliva ban I, I should point out not all teams use saliva for reverse swing either um, England believed the ball needed to be drier. And I think Pakistan was similar, whereas um, SG balls needed more saliva and sometimes the Kookaburra balls needed more saliva. So it's a really, it's, a, it's an interesting art that unfortunately players don't talk about publicly because they don't want to be seen as cheats. But the actual ways that you, I was talking to a cricketer when Cam Bancroft got done. We were on, on a, having a chat on, on, on Zoom about something and he was watching it live and he went, oh, you don't need to do that. As if, as if to say, <laughs> there are better ways to tamper with the ball than that. It wasn't it, the, the original thing wasn't, oh, he's done it wrong. But it has changed the game. And what it's done is I think it's helped India at home. So they juice up their pitches for spinners, right? And they know that Ashwin and Jadeja, now Aksha, can bowl, what, 80% of the overs maybe at home, right? Other teams in, in the past, when they've gone to India, 
you know, the West Indies were good in, in India, right? Dale Steyn was good in India. Jimmy Anderson has a good record in India. Glenn McGrath. I'm not sure those bowlers would in this current India, right? And that's not to say that they wouldn't adapt and great bowlers work out a way, but I don't think they would have the same impact as someone like Courtney Walsh did in India. Um, I think Courtney Walsh is, you know, I think he's got something like almost 100 wickets in Asia at a ridiculously yeah, he averages low average. 18 in India, I think, Courtney Walsh. Yeah, if I and I'm not saying he's not still great because I think, that's an underrated part. If you're looking at the greatest players of all time, he never gets listed. That is an incredible record for that many wickets over that long period. But I think if you're going to, especially to India now, I'm not sure seeing bowlers could have the same impact. They won't get reversed, as you said. But also the pitches are just so weighted towards spin um, that you're almost taking seam out. I don't know if you saw one of my other pieces where I wrote that India could, if they wanted to, go into a game with three spinners as their only bowlers now. Yeah, I, they, I actually wanted lose to talk anything. about that. Yeah, they wouldn't lose anything if they did that, right? Because by the end of this series, other than the last test when they changed the pitch, but 20% of the overs were bowled by seam. And that was predominantly quite a lot of the Australian seam. If you just looked at India, I think it was even uh, lower than 20%. And, you know, you might want to take one seamer in. Uh, you know, Mohamed Chami is still a good bowler in India. And Umesh Yadav, very good bowler in Indian conditions. You might still want them, but yeah. I think uh, I did read that piece uh, uh, on Substack. In fact, uh, good you mentioned this because I think in India's case, yes, Umesh could have been, you know, if these are the kinds of pitches that uh, India is talking about in the future, then yes, Umesh maybe could be dropped. And I don't think India would uh, play three spinners because, uh, and, and I know you do talk about it in the article too, but I think the problem would be the injury. So I think a Washington Sundar as the fourth option where uh, he can bat. And again, because he's a lower order batter, and if this is the ball and this is how the result is going to pan out, then Washington Sundar can bat easily uh, lower mm. down the order. And and, and and this is why India has become unbeatable, right? Because all their three spinners are middle order batsmen. So he, you, you change that sequence where Akshar... Like Kumble couldn't bat like this, right? Let, let's get real. Kumble or Harbhajan? Uh, Harbhajan has two test hundreds. Kumble has one test hundred. But let's be clear. They did not make runs on these these pitches. They made runs on the flat belters whenever yeah. they made yeah, uh, made runs. Now, if we had Kumble and Harbhajan in, in the same setup in these pitches, India's probability of losing increases. And I'll explain it how. Indore is a classic example of that. When the three below the order, which are supposed to bail you out always, when they fail, look, India lost the match. Because yeah. then India's batting order was just like your batting starts to wean off at number seven, which happens with most teams. So eventually, I don't think uh, this is a sustainable... Look, Nagpur, in my view, was not a bad wicket. Look, you can't score 400 on a bad wicket. I think Nagpur was a decent wicket. And uh, the, the, the sweet spot, if I was to say, is something slightly better than Nagpur and and I still see Indian India not losing in hmm. in those kinds of pitches what what bothers me as an Indian cricket fan is that we have convinced ourselves in India look it's all funny even I enjoy the cricket is super exciting so I agree with you when you were telling me last time why are you complaining Kushal it's such an amazing time I mean so what the matches I get what you're saying Jared but you you don't want matches like indoor indoor was a horrendous third class pitch. What so do I don't know? mind it. I don't mind it if it's occasional. I think the. I think what you're saying, and this is the case with almost any kind of pitch, right? It's it's a bit like food. If you just eat the same meal over and over again, even if it's a good meal, it becomes boring, right? And yeah. and and so I don't think there's any 
I don't think there's any big difference there. I, if indoor and the Gabba, we had the Gabba not that long ago. Yeah. We, we can have wickets that are occasionally like that. The, the problem here, I think that a lot of Indian fans, especially Indian fans who grew up in your generation, who watched cricket in 80s, 90s, and you know early 2000s, they're just like, there is other good parts of cricket. And at the moment, you're only seeing one. And so I think, I think that's very, very fair. The Nagpur one that you talked about before, I, I think that if Australia had picked three spinners uh, for that particular test, um, I think that wicket wasn't that... I think that wicket was still really, really tough. So the score of 400, I think, is based, based on the fact that the they they got to, what were they, six for two, no, 180 or whatever they were. Um, and then Ashwin remember. and Akshar played. Yeah, yeah. So when, when all oh, those... Jadeja part- and Ashwin, sorry. Jadeja and yeah. Ashwin. And then, and then Akshar came in and made runs after that. Is that right? Is that the one at Nagpur? Yeah. 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 And so uh, I think... Akshar played got well in Delhi too. Yeah. Delhi. Primarily yeah. in Delhi. But the, when the ball the ball got soft and the Australian bowlers got got tired, I still think that was like if from a Hawkeye data perspective, let's take away the score. I'm sure if you go back and have a look at it, that would be an above average, uh, you know, bowling pitch, right? Where you just yeah, like, yeah. this is a really I good agree. pitch for bowling. But yeah, but but your your basic point is is very very fair. But so what uh, my my in, interest is this, and you know, I I know Raul Dravid a little bit, but. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to send him an email asking him this. This is the sort of thing I want to ask him. You know, as as we pass each other in the hallways. And he wasn't a part. He wasn't a part of the original decision. The original decision was clearly Virat Kohli and Ravi Shastri. But were they thinking that no one else in the world could play spin, and that they had the best spinners, and so all they needed to do was hype their wickets up and win? Were they thinking we've got two great spinners, one of which, both of which are in their thirties, one is injury prone, and the other is not a traditional athlete? Do we have to reduce the amount of time that they actually bowl by helping them by juicing up the wickets? Um, were they not thinking about anything like that? And maybe the BCCI just said, we don't need five-day tests. It's not, it's not going to make us that much more money. What we want is action-packed test matches. I, I don't know. I, I don't know where that decision comes from because there are there are very interesting tactical point of views. As I said, if if I wanted, let, let's say Australia, so you've got Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark coming towards the end. And let's say Australia look and they go, not sure that next generation is quite as strong as this generation, right? And Jai Richardson's great, but he's never going to be on the field. Lance Morris may be good, but we can't back him. And Cameron Green, we don't want to ever overbowl Cameron Green, right? The best thing that we could do in Australia is let's get rid of those four and five day pitches. Let's make everything two and a half days. So our bowlers only need to bowl short, sharp spells. They, they take all the wickets. We're going to win more than we lose because we have Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark and no one else does. It's a possibility. And, and and the other thing is, I think everyone gets so fascinated on India and the BCCI and everything. South Africa did this. South Africa, Faf Duplessis had a meeting with the players and he said, do you know what? I think we have tougher batters than the rest of the world. I don't think we have better batters, but I think we have tougher batters. And I think we can take more hits on the body than other players. And I think that that can be our unique selling point. Let's allow our bowlers to bowl on wickets that help that. They openly, Faf talked about it in press conferences, they openly doctored their wickets, right? No one ever called them on it um, at the time. And that was a dangerous doctoring of wickets because people were getting hit all the time in those conditions. But Faf was right. They did probably have the tougher batters and they were better in those sorts of conditions at just getting hit and going on with their innings. You know, guys like Temba Bavuma and I'm trying to think who else was in, in that team at that time. But, you know, Hashin Amla, those sorts of guys would just get on with it, right? And, you know, um, they might have had a, Trying to think of Alvaro Peterson was another guy. Dean Elgar, all those sorts of guys just used to getting hit. <laughs> those kinds of batters, right? 
again, that helps their bowlers because Rabada bowled the most balls in international cricket. That meant in test matches at home, he wasn't bowling as many as he might have been if the pitches had been better for Bathe. I, I don't know how much of these conversations are being had. I know that my article um, uh, was passed around to you know the Indian camp, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, I, I get any feedback from that of you know whether it was. We don't know exactly the reason outside of they thought we have the best spinners in the world. Let's do this. They did this. But it's time for them to think about it and be like, is this the best uh, brand of cricket that we want to play? But also, in because they made a pitch so weighted towards bowling, they lost a test match. They shouldn't have, they shouldn't have lost to Australia on this tour. Australia were... Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, you almost got a game for Australia at one stage, right? They, Australia didn't even know who they had in the country, man. <laughs> they, they shouldn't have lost a test in this tour. Yeah, and, and, and the reason they lost the test was they actually now... Touring teams have now found the way of beating India in India. I don't think any touring team against this team will ever win a series. Let's be very clear. But like the Paneser, uh, Monty Paneser, uh, Graham Swan team, they, yep. they 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 were victorious. And I think Australia finally got it right in the end. But more than them getting it right, it was just the pitch doing its thing. But hmm. look, when you have a person like Ravi Chandran Ashwin, who... And I personally think, like after Indore, the the correction in Ahmedabad was even worse to me as a fan. I was like, "What the hell?" On one hand, you have a two day match, and now this this road can can go on. Uh, I mean, it was better than Rawalpindi. One friend of mine was like, "At least it is better than Rawalpindi." I was like, "But still, Rawalpindi had a result thanks to England's style of playing cricket, but we could not get a result." And I mean, Ashwin showed that he was a great bowler. I, Look, the class of Ashwin was quite obviously mm. different. And he, he let's just say, I mean, to use the old adage, I don't know if it is allowed to separate the men from the boys. Ashwin clearly separated himself on that first innings when the pitch was at its best. He got six wickets. Mm. I, ironically, he didn't, he didn't get many wickets in the second mm. innings. Uh, and I personally think he did not bowl that well in the second innings when compared to the first innings. He was just magnificent. I don't know how he managed it, but... If you have a bowler like Ashwin and you have someone like Kuldeep in the ranks, right? It's not like somebody who can bowl slow and beat the batsman in the air does not exist in the Indian side. It's ironical. And 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 I personally think Akshar is right now playing as a batsman, not as a bowler. He's just <laughs> playing as a batsman because well, Kuldeep that... should have played the Ahmedabad test. And yeah, I think in that test, I think they could have done that. But you're right. They probably were a little bit worried about their batting by that point. But, but yeah, I think that was, I think I wrote another piece where I was talking about the fact that when they, by making their pitches such lotteries, you actually give the opposition a chance to win on them. Yes, yeah. Right. Whereas if you had a normal pitch that spins a decent amount, just a normal Indian first class wicket, there's no way India anyone can beat India because of Ashwin in the first innings, Aksha and uh, a little bit Jadeja. in the first innings, and then Jadeja in the second innings, right? There's yeah. no way you can beat them because. You know, Nathan Lyon can have the best game of his life, but Nathan Lyon, Todd Murphy, and Matt Kuhneman are not going to outperform those three bowlers over 150 overs. They could do it over 50 overs or over 20 overs, right? But they can't do it over 150 overs. And there is no other bowling attack in the world that can do that. You know, Sri Lanka, you know, Embaldinia looked like he was pretty good. Obviously, um, um, uh, what's what's the other guy's name? Jay Surya. Jay Surya. Jay Surya. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, they're really good bowlers. The combined talent of them is not that great. 
an interesting bowling attack for India would be Trebej Shamsi, Simon Harma, and Keshav Maharaj. Although with Maharaj's injury, we might never see that. But that that would be an interesting one. But they're still and Simon Harma and, and Maharaj and Shamsi are really good bowlers. They're just not Akshar, you know, um, Ravi and and Ashwin, right? Like they just aren't. And so all you need to do is give an advantage to spin bowlers, which is a fairly normal thing to do in India, and then allow that. But as I, that's what I was getting to before is, is there something else in this where they were just like, actually, what we really want to do is finish these games as quickly as possible so Ashwin doesn't have to bowl. That The spell that we just saw in um, in Ahmedabad where, you know, he takes six for, but it takes him a day and a half to get it, right? You know, there is a, a potential for that. So it's a, it's a really, really interesting uh, conundrum that they are currently in. And I still think that India are the best team in the world. Um, and I think they're slightly better than Australia. But most teams aren't even going to get close to India. So why give them a chance? What, go back to that New Zealand series. You know, why, why give it a chance that Ajaz Patel could take 10, 10 wickets, right? Ajaz Patel should, shouldn't be able to take 10 wickets in a series against Indian batters. That's what the old days would have showed us. Um, yeah. And I do think that they're opening that up. But maybe it works because maybe they get an extra year out of Ashwin and and, and I'm completely wrong with this. But it, it's a really interesting um, theoretical discussion about how they are doing this and why they are doing this. Yeah, I, I did not think they must have thought that their batsmen would struggle so much. I don't think they thought their batsmen would struggle so much. And now it has come to a point where the noise around the batsmen failing has increased so much that they just went from one end of the spectrum to the other end to show like, hey, look, our batsman can bat <laughs> with Virat. That, you know, and, and, and look, it, it could play with the confidence of a batsman too. It, at the end of the day, these are all, you know, these are human beings. They have a mind too. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So I wrote about the confidence a little bit in that article that you're talking about before. But I also think because when they go away, they can't make any runs. They don't play first class cricket, these guys, right? So confidence is probably a part of it. But the bigger part is making runs is a habit, right? Yeah. And you build skills. Do you remember, there was that period, where, remember when India lost in Australia and then they lost, sorry, they lost in England and then they lost in Australia. I don't know what it was, 7-0 or over the two series back-to-back. So I covered yeah. all of those. And I wrote a piece that Royal Driver talked about on air. And I was, well, what I was saying is that what India is doing at the moment is they are against teams who are really good at test cricket. Uh, you know, very well-drilled test cricket nations. They're dropping in a bunch of players and saying, you can work out test cricket by playing it, right? That's really tough, right? What India is doing now is slightly different to that. And a lot of teams are doing this at the moment where they're basically saying to everyone, you're really good. We're going to pick you for this test, but you're going to have to have to make runs despite the fact that you probably haven't played a two again. Uh, you probably haven't played any first-class games. <laughs> you probably aren't used to the red ball. You might not have seen a red ball for a month, Right. This is really hard. It's just a hard thing to learn how to do. And in the old days, Kushal, you would go to South Africa and you'd play two or three proper warm-up games and you'd bat in them properly. Now, they don't even do that anymore. So I remember one of the things I was talking about in this previous period of Indian cricket is all those Indian players, they would play in tour games, but they would play in like 14 or 15 man tour games, right? And they would all the batters would retire on 50. Now, that's a really important thing to have happen because there is a, it's a different, the first 50 runs are different than the second 50 runs. The skills that you need, the tiredness that you comes in, the fact that the bowlers now understand the pitch better, all these sorts of things start to happen the longer you bat. And that whole generation of Indian cricketers were taken away from that. And it's a bit the same now. 
it's interesting that in this period, Coley has found it toughest not to get starts, but to go from 50 to 100, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think that, that there is a pattern here. And I don't think this is just going to be with Coley. I think as we drop players from, from um, program to program to program, it's going to be very tough. So Josh Butler and Jason Roy played one day in South Africa. And they know that they're most probably both going to be playing in the World Cup. Listen to what they said in South Africa. They said, oh, we, we couldn't even, we couldn't get our minds around how to bat in a one-day game anymore, right? Because in T20 cricket, you get to 20 or 30 and you start to hit. In one-day cricket, you're still building and you've got to build for a long period of time, right? And they, they couldn't get the gears right. Now, this is Josh Butler, who is perhaps one of the greatest ODI players, probably one of the five greatest ODI batters of all time already if he retires now, perhaps, right? Jason Roy, again, maybe the top 30 ODI um, uh, players, certainly one of the best openers we've ever had. These are proper, proper players. And they're saying, we haven't played it. We don't know what we're doing. Those, those patterns go across. And if you're playing at home and making 60 in India is suddenly the most that you can make, unless you're Rohit Sharma, um, you know, and it's really hard to go on and make any more runs. And then you go away and you've got Rabada bowling to you and Kima Roach bowling with a Jukes ball, um, you know, and Australia with the pink ball under lights. You know, you're not getting a chance to learn the other batting skills or maybe learn is the wrong wrong way to to refine the other batting skills that you already have and that you had when you were probably 16 and some, you know, Pajara had these skills when he was probably a fetus, right? But he needs to be able to keep doing them. And it's hard for a lot of these guys. They just don't play that level of cricket anymore. So you just dropped in. And the way to, uh, to overcome that, of course, is to make a lot of runs at home when it's easy. Uh, that isn't happening for them anymore. Yeah, and it, it's tragic. I mean, at least in Pujara's case, when he was dropped, he did play Ranji Trophy and he went and played some English played county Gyanti. cricket. Yeah, yeah, and and he did well, and and I think people don't realize that that stint in the county did see because he got into the habit of making runs again, and then he took that habit back. And in Bangladesh, you know, he scored a ninety and then a hundred in the second innings, which was so unlike Pujara. He was playing fast. He, he played, and yeah. and those Bangladeshi pitches were not easy to bat. Those were terrible pitches too. He's put some good innings on recently in Bangladesh. You know, the one against Australia uh, when when India was struggling as well. Look, I think the confidence thing is. You and I can talk about it, and we don't really know about that sort of that sort of stuff. But there is making runs, and and I know this from T Twenty cricket. So what what batters will tell you in T Twenty cricket is it's the hardest format to bat in, not because it's hard from any perspective of uh, you're not tested the same way you are in Test cricket. You don't have the mental arithmetic that you have in One Day cricket a lot. But why they say it's hard is you can go through a whole season where you get run out twice. Um, you smash the ball back to a bowler and it hits him on the chest and he clutches it to his chest. Um, you you go in a couple of times at the end of the game and you have to slog. It's really hard to find any pattern to make runs consistently. And you see in T20 cricket, people, K.O. Rahul is the best example of this. Like literally he flatlines for seven games and then he averages 70 for the next 10 games, right? That's the pattern of T20 batting. And it's even more stark than you see in, in test match cricket and one-day cricket. We know that batters get used to batting long periods of time. If you take that away from people, it is really, really tricky. And um, I don't think that that is, I, I don't think that can be underrated. And I think that is something we've seen right across international cricket over the last couple of years because teams don't play tour games. If you remember when Pakistan uh, drew the series in England, uh, when they came over to play, they had a huge fitness camp beforehand. They all got very fit. Then they had an incredible preparation 
to go and play in England. When Australia did very well um, in India in uh, 2017, I know they only won the uh, the one test in in the end, but they and, and they drew another one, but they had a chance again to win that series going into that last test. The preparation they did before that series was, I think it's as much as I've ever seen them prepare for a non-Ashes test, a non-Ashes test, a series. Sorry. Teams don't have time to do that anymore. You don't even have your players available, right? You know, England England are preparing for a World Cup at the moment, and some of the players who might be playing in the World Cup are playing in the PSL. <laughs> you don't have time to prepare and do those things anymore, and it's really, really tricky. And it seems to be at the moment that, again, that is assisting bowlers rather than batters. Maybe that changes in the future. I don't know. But at the moment, that seems to be the, the big difference. And and perhaps also, you know, uh, if, you're, if you're bowling in India and the pitch is spinning, then... Any, any spinner is going to be able to find the right line and length um, over a little while to be able to torment someone. And for the rest of the world where the wobble ball's king, it's one delivery that you need to master, really. You don't need to be able to swing it in, swing it away. You don't have to worry about all these different kinds of cutters. You literally come in, you jiggle the ball in your hands, and it does something magic off the pitch. Um, it means that that's a lot easier to go from bowling in a T20 game to perhaps uh, some of the other skills. So at the moment, this all seems to be favoring the bowlers, but the batters are certainly, you know, we just had a week where what Temba Bavuma, uh, Angelo Matthews, uh, who else did we have? Virat Kohli, um, Cameron Green, Usman Kawaja. We had some hundreds of recent times, didn't we? So maybe there's maybe um, there's a bit of a swing back towards the batters. But I will say this: for all those hundreds we had in the last week, we're only in the first week of March. The global average went from under twenty, under thirty, to just mad, marginally above thirty. It's still a very low era. It still looks yeah. like it's going to be another tough year for the batters. Yeah, and and I kind of understand. I think we we might be in an era where we'll have bowling friendly wickets, and then suddenly there will be one batting friendly wicket. And <laughs> you should look at the bowlers' expressions. They're like, "Why is he not getting out? I'm so used to it." <laughs> you you a... see that in Pakistan, right? You see the bowlers yeah. go to Pakistan and just be like, "What? What yeah. am I supposed to do?" <laughs> right? The inter the really interesting thing about this is I don't know if you know the history of New Zealand. So New Zealand's rise in Test cricket comes from them changing their domestic pitches. Do you know what they changed their domestic pitches to, Kushal? They made them really flat for batting because at that stage, every pitch in the world was really good for test batting, right? So they were like, we're going to mimic test batting. They made them really flat for batting. Now they're all having meetings going, should we make them better for bowling again? Because now all the wickets in the world are better for bowling. Um, and so it's, it's completely flipped on its head. Yeah. And uh, before we wrap up, I want to talk about, so, uh, so I found this, Peculiar, the, the words you've used over here in this one. Mm -hmm. You say Ravi Jadeja, the most valuable player in trust. Now, the, how do you create this differentiation between the MVP and... I'm not saying the GOAT. I'm not comparing MVP to the GOAT. But mm -hmm. like, what, what, what is the essential quality that makes the best player different from the most valuable player? So in basketball at the moment, I think... Most probably, although the Nuggets are going through a form slump, but most probably Nikola Jokic will uh, win his third straight MVP award, right? He is the most valuable player. Game in, game out. He gives the most to his team of anyone else. But anyone in the world, if they were having a draft of which player you would pick first, would probably pick uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? The difference is that Giannis's, Giannis's um, skills are more like a Ben Stokes uh, in, in what he can do and where the way he can play up to a situation. Whereas in every single game, um, the Joker is going to give you slightly better stats. And what I wanted to say was you could make an argument that Ben Stokes or you could, you know, 
Kane uh, Williamson or Steve Smith or Pat Cummins or, you know, Rabada, Bumrah, Ashwin, whoever you want. You could say those guys are the best players. But when you look at, when you actually look at who's giving you the most value on in a game, you've got a guy who is averaging, you know, whatever it is, mid 40s, 44, I think, with the bat. And he's averaging 23 with the ball at the same time. And he's involved in, and I, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I think he's involved in something like 330 balls per game, right? So we know that he's a plus with the bat and a plus with the ball, and he's a huge high usage. I don't think, and we know this from India, India hasn't always chosen him, right? Even in, yeah. even in his good form, India are not always sure whether they want him or Ashwin. So it, it, you would be silly to say, well, he's the absolute automatic best player. I think that would be I think that would be the, the wrong way of looking at it. But when you're looking at it from a value added perspective, we've already said that I think he's got the 14th highest um, batting average since 2018, and he's got the seventh best bowling average. So he's a plus on both sides of the balls. The other thing is that Ben Stokes and Jason Holder are very good as all-rounders. Jason Holder doesn't give you an extra batter or an extra bowler because he yeah. generally bats at number seven or number eight, right? And so at best, he needs someone else to help him get an extra bowler into the side. And in Ben Stokes's case, you do get an extra bowler, but you only get 20 overs a game, right? You can't bowl Ben Stokes more than that, especially if you want him to bat at number five, right? Um, it's really, really tough. We've seen this with Callis. So I don't know if you know the full story with Callis and Sobers, but Sobers bowled 38 overs a game and Callis bowled 21 or 22 overs a game. That's not a mistake. That was done on purpose, right? They knew what they were doing. And... And so, and so the reason for all that then becomes um, uh, that that Jadeja automatically, by being able to bat in the top six, allows them to have five bowlers in every game, right? And then it's five frontline bowlers. Ben Stokes is not bowling frontline overs. He's bowling fifth over bowlers. Whereas in Jadeja's case, any single bowler that they have can bowl 40 overs in this next test match. Right, So they can pick and choose. It gives them huge flexibility. So when you're looking at most valuable, we now have someone who's a plus batter, a plus bowler, and also allows you to pick five bowlers without losing anything on batting. Is he the best player in cricket? I don't know because Ben Stokes' bowling is really handy because of what it does, because he's a fast bowler, because he can bowl bounces, right? Ben Stokes is also, we know that when batting is at its absolute toughest, he's made, batted some of the best innings we've ever seen. You have to factor that in. Also, Jadeja is probably a better outfielder, or at least as good an outfielder as Ben Stokes. But Ben Stokes is a better slip fielder, and you get that. And then Ben Stokes is the captain, right? You then have Ashwin. Is Ashwin worth more just purely as a bowler? Because he is... Ashwin is so far and away the best spin bowler in the world at the moment. And, and Jadeja is fantastic, but even he's a distance behind in an era when all the seam bowlers are doing well, Ashwin's still doing well home and away. Is that then worth something extra on you? So when I was talking about best, I, I didn't want to get in, involved in that because best is subjective, right? What's not subjective is there is no metric. You can find me that any player in the world is more valuable um, when it comes to team construction batting, bowling, and a little bit of fielding in his case than Ravi Jadeja. If you're looking at best, I still think you probably have maybe Ashwin because he can bat a little bit, uh, Stokes, and then you probably have Cummins slash Bumrah um, and uh, you know want maybe one of the great batters in there as well. But they're not more valuable than Ravi Jadeja. He is just without doubt, the most valuable player in Test cricket at the moment because of all the things that he brings to a cricket team. And I th I find it hilarious because, you know, we spent the first six years of his career laughing at him 
and he's completely transformed who he is as a player um, and getting the most out of himself. And he's still, I think it's still fair to say his bowling can be a little bit automaton at times. And and we've already talked about earlier, when he went up to the top of the order, he didn't save India. He, he may not have been a disaster, but he didn't save them when he went up to the top of the order. So we know his batting is limited. But what he gives you in a cricket team is just phenomenal. And we are now, he, he has the chance of being the second player ever to end up with a career average, batting average over 40 and a bowling average under 30. And at the very least, he's very close to having a bowling average under 30 and a batting average over 35. And I think that's, there's only three players who've ever done that as well. Um, that is, that shows you what level of cricket he's been in. And considering when he first came into test cricket, his batting was pretty ordinary. Um, I think it's been quite a transformation. So I, I just wanted people to know how important he was to a cricket team because I still, when I write the things positive about Jadeja, I still get people go, he's crap. What are you talking about? Like, what are we what are we looking at here? This guy's averaging almost 50 with the bat and, you know, mid-20s with the ball. We, we should be building statues for him. And there's also, I think you'll know this, and you know more about Indian culture than me, so you can explain this, but because of the Tamil nature of Ashwin and the intellectual nature of Ashwin, the nerd, cricket nerds, go just cling to him, right? Oh, look how smart Ashwin is. Jadeja, oh, he's just, he just comes in bowls and he just comes in and bats and he doesn't think. And it's like... There's, there's an element of truth to that. But does it matter if he's, if he's I, doing so I well? I think it is. Uh, also, there's only so many superstars you can have in a team. So maybe yes. this is the best way to look at it, right? In the Sachin era, Sachin was the, you know, Sachin was Sachin. That, that was my era. You can, you know, Sachin was there. Dravid was pretty good. I mean, uh, Dravid is, a, if you ask me, the debate on who... Sachin is the best Indian batsman ever. Gavaskar could be the closest to Sachin because Gavaskar was an opener. But, I mean, where do you put Dravid? <laughs> but Dravid never took the limelight, right? Mm. I mean, Sachin took the entire limelight. Ganguly, because the greatest captain, even today, Indians would be like, no, Ganguly changed Indian cricket. Sehwag, because of his flashy style of batting, the triple hundred, stuff like that, he would take. Lakshman, because of those extraordinary things he did against Australia. But... There was always this man. I mean, yes, he was called the wall, but let's be very clear. Dravid was never given the due Dravid deserved mm. because Dravid was just taken for granted, right? Eh, he's there. He's going to do it. He's not going to get out. I think a lot of that happens with Jadeja too. Like The one thing that stood out for me in your, in your substack was this number, which is like, I was like, hang on. He has these many wickets outside Asia. Why are we, you know, why do we shit on him? <laughs> yeah. Thing. I, mean, I think, I think the problem with him is that because there's two things you just said that are really interesting. The first one you're talking about is oxygen, right? There's only so much oxygen. Yeah. There are can't. incredibly great in English cricketers and Australian cricketers. We don't talk about anymore because they played in an era where there were more great cricketers, around, yeah. right? There's, there's only so many things you can ever say. Like we don't talk about Ray Limmel very much because he bowled with Keith Miller. Limmel yeah. was a better bowler than Miller, but Miller could bat, right? You can't fit all these sorts of people in. And, and that's how it goes. The, the, the second one that you're talking about there is the narrative, right? Think about Ganguly. The narrative, so many people say Ganguly, great test cricketer. Ganguly wasn't a great test cricketer. He was a yeah, very, was... very ordinary test cricketer. Ordinary, but, yeah. But from a ta captaincy point of view and what he did for very Indian um, yeah. uh, fans and, and, and the team, very important, right? But mm -hmm. the narrative is he's great. 
Well, when you break down his numbers, you're like, well, he made a lot of runs on very flat pitches against very ordinary attacks a lot of the time. Um, you know, wasn't a particularly good player when 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 bowlers were on top, you know, in the way that Dravid and, and Tendulkar and everyone else were. So we we but the narrative is set, and the narrative is set with Dravid. With Jadeja, what was the narrative? It's basically three different things. Firstly, he's a bit of a joke, right? He becomes, you know, him and Ishan Sharma are the one that everyone on social media makes fun of, right? The second one is that he's an automaton and that, that um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, MS Dhoni has to stick his hand up his ass like a puppet to make him work, right? Mm. Can't, it can't, can't possibly be good without Dhoni. He's been pretty yep. good without Dhoni, hasn't he? Um, and then the third one is you're comparing him to Ashwin, right? Most spinners in the world, only real, even in Asia, you're, you're as a spinner, you're much better in the back half of the game, right? There are exceptions to that. Weirdly, Dan Vittori and um, Nathan Lyon are, per are perfect examples of being exceptions to that rule. But as a general rule, spinners get better as the game goes on, right? Jack Leach, terrible in the first innings, ordinary in the second innings. By the third innings, he's good. By the fourth innings, he's almost unplayable at times, Jack Leach, right? We see this pattern with spinners all the time. Jadeja has a very normal pattern, right? It's Ashwin that doesn't have the normal pattern. And so yeah. if you're comparing him to Ashwin, you're suddenly going, well, wait a minute. We And we see him bowl in England and he looks absolutely ordinary. Well, I've seen Rangana Harath bowl in England and look absolutely ordinary. And Rangana Harath is one, a 400 great... 400 test wickets. Yeah, a great modern spinner, right? We've seen Murali bowl in Australia and look ordinary, especially early on in games. You know, we, we've seen bowlers all around the world, spinners all around the world struggle to, in, in the first half of the game. And I think it's the, the, the direct thing, but... If, Really, all of these things are narrative-led. And then you get the whole Sanjay Mandraker bits and pieces thing. Bits and right? pieces, yeah. He was a bits and pieces player. Maybe not in test cricket, but he was in white ball cricket. So now you've got this separate narrative of, if you you and I, when we first watched Asia, probably thought, not sure this guy's going to be a great test cricketer, but he's going to be the world's best one-day player. That never really happened, right? It, it hasn't the happened. Other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The opposite happened. Whereas Shakib Al-Hassan, he was the one who dominated T20 cricket and one-day cricket, and he's a very similar cricketer. So I think that there's there's all these different narratives about Jadeja, and it's hard to just stop and just go, wait a minute, let's have a look at the last five years of uh, Jadeja's um, career. And I think I did a video two or three years back saying something, this guy has changed and he's really good, and you should see the comments on it. People calling me insane. People going, what are you talking about? Sanjay Mandraker was right, right? Three years on, he's better now. And when it comes back to that most valuable thing that we're talking about before, what I was trying to say is if you were being completely um, objective and you were just looking at what players did on a cricket field and what impact they had on you winning a game and you were picking the best 11 right now, I don't think you can not pick Jadeja as your first choice. You could still yeah. say, oh, I think we need Bumrah and I think we need Ashwin and um, you know, I think we need Stokes and you know these other guys and Smith and whoever else. But objectively, on a ball-by-ball -ball basis, no one is more valuable in world cricket at the moment than Ravi Jadeja. And to come from the position of him being the, the biggest joke on the internet in 2012 to where we are now, it's an extraordinary change. Yeah, it, it is an extraordinary change. And like the, the if I was to uh, put it in these words, like he gets the, you get the most bang for your buck yeah. with uh, Ravi Jadeja. He's the best investment in, in terms of he will get you consistency. Even if he's not picking wickets, he's not giving away runs, which is very important in a test match. Yeah, I think I think that's the other thing. It's really interesting when people were comparing him to Stokes and they were like, oh, he's such a limited bowler compared to Stokes. And I was like, have you ever seen Stokes bowl with a new ball? He's rubbish at it. He can't control it at all. 
flies out of his hand. It's why he's not as good a bowler in one day in T20 cricket because the ball, especially in, in, in one day cricket, you've got a new ball at either end. It means he can't bowl until the middle overs and he's not a very good death bowler as Carlos Brathwaite, I think, proved to us, right? And so he can only bowl in the middle, which means you can't get his full allocation out of him, right? He's really limited as well. Jason Holder, we talked about before. Jason Holder is a fantastic cricketer, but Jason Holder is not a good enough batter to bat permanently at number six, which means that West Indies doesn't quite get the benefit of having a great all-rounder the way that India do with Jadeja, you know? But we talk about the positives of Holder and the positives of Stokes, and with Jadeja, it feels like that it's always looking for the negatives. And just, if he has two more years at this level, you are talking about someone who, who mathematically forget everything else, but just mathematically is absolutely probably in the top five all rounders of all time. And that's incredible. Yeah, because he's definitely going to have 300 plus wickets in test match cricket, and he's probably going to touch 5,000 runs in test match cricket. I think he's, now, I think, he, yeah, he's, is he near 2,600 runs or something? So yeah, maybe 3,000 or 4,000, 5,000. I mean, if he plays for another five years, then it could be 400 wickets and 5,000. Well, runs, I right? was assuming the Indian top order keeps batting like crap and he, well, that, he might end up opening the batting at this point. But yeah, but but I mean, he's already, you know, if you compare him to the other great all-rounders on, on a numbers basis, good. he doesn't play as much as Holder and, and uh, Stokes. They, he misses more games, which is really interesting because he's probably the best athlete out of those three, although they're all phenomenal athletes they're all next generation athletes but he might even be the best athlete out of those three and he still misses a lot of games but because india plays so many test matches he's still got the he's got the counting stats and he's got the the average stats and on an advanced advanced stats he's got those as well there's no weakness from a mathematical point of view it really just is um you know if if you you know, if you like Ben Stokes' captaincy more or, you know, the fact that you think Ben Stokes yeah. is a more reliable batter when the pressure is on or whatever it may be, or more dynamic batter, maybe. Um, but it's an incredible record. And I also think, you know, when Callis went, I thought that might be the death of all-rounders, right? Shakib then had an incredible five-year period where his bowling was really good. But I think I think over a five-year period, Shakib averaged just under 50 with the bat um, and averaged maybe 32, 33 with the ball. Those are world all-time, you know, all-rounder records in it, in itself. Um, and then Jadeja's come along and probably done even better than that again. Uh, I, I just think it's an absolutely remarkable they're in that situation. And the Jason Holder, I saw Jason Holder when he first came through. If you would have told me he'd be one of the world's best all-rounders now, when I saw him in 2013, I would punch you in the face. That's how upset I would be at that. And Ben Stokes, he's probably the only one where I thought this, he's actually underperformed based on what I saw early on. And we've said all those guys, Akshar Patel is now on the scene and Cameron Green is now on the scene. I mean, oh, yeah. there's some all-round talent coming around oh. everywhere at the moment. I'm so happy to see Cam Green finally score 100. I know he scored it against India. I don't give a shit. I I'm a huge fan of Cam Green. I love that guy's batting. I just love it. He's yeah, so, I mean, I thought we were getting to an age where we would see more specialists in cricket. Yeah. And suddenly, we might have the best sort of what four or five? I mean, she keeps still around. So you know, five or six all rounders um, in the world that we've had maybe since that brief period in the nineties. But even then, I'll probably go back to the eighties when we had the the the, go the goats um, all at the same time. It's incredible how many all rounders that are suddenly in world cricket. Um, and I wonder if you like this. So everyone moans about T Twenty cricket ruining um, Test cricket. T Twenty cricket forces you to. Um, make as much money as you can by being good with bat and ball. 
And yeah. so people aren't giving up their second skills anymore and they're working on them more and more. Joe Joe Root, 10 years ago, would have already quit bowling by now. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't. And not only that, you go in the nets. Joe Root is working on that because he wants an IPL deal. He wants to bowl two overs a game in the IPL and bat number four for the Sunrisers or whoever. Yeah, it's very interesting. And just one last point. I think with the case of Jadeja, again, just like the Sachin era, you have Virat, you have Rohit, you have Bumrah. And you have these huge names today in world cricket who hawk the limelight. And in the bowling department, obviously, I mean, let's get real. Ravi Chandran Ashwin is the greatest Indian bowler today. And the man is touching 500 test match wickets. It's not a joke. You don't get 500 test match wickets. Would you say today or would you say all time? No, I don't think so. He's the greatest test match bowler of all time. I, because I still believe Kumble. I would give Kumble that edge over. I, I would pick. I would pick Ashwin over Kumble. I, I know, and I'm. You won't. I'm actually working on a huge video on how great Kumble is at the moment. I just think that I think Ashwin. Ashwin is at another point where I don't think there's any time on any surface you're facing Ashwin where you're thinking I'm on top of this guy, right? Whereas I think on Kumble on certain wickets you would say to yourself, he's going to keep coming at me, but I can work him out and. Yeah. Which Kumble? The latter Kumble where he had no, that talking, loopy googly. No, I'm talking full career, full career of the two of them compared to, uh, to each. I just think that, and, and you won't find many bigger fans of Kumble than me, but I just think Ashwin is the best. I think he's the best Indian bowler I've certainly seen. I didn't see some of the older spinners. So, I, you know, and Kapil Dev, I saw enough of Kapil Dev to know he was a very good bowler, but I don't think he, he certainly wasn't a better bowler than Ashwin or Kumble. I wouldn't have thought. Oh. By far, I agree. Yeah. I think very good bowler. Ashwin, I mean, yeah, yeah, Ashwin would be the second best Indian bowler ever. Number one would be Anil Kumble for me. But yeah, this is the the difference between the two is like uh, uh, minor in my view because if if Kumble got these kinds of pitches, I mean, that's I think that's really interesting. Also, you know, Warren Kumble and Murali all took a lot of wickets pre DRS and. Um, the modern spinners have DRS, but also it changes the way you bowl, if that makes sense. Whereas the other guys bowled for multiple dismissals. Whereas modern spinners, especially finger spinners, bowl kind of a bold in LBW almost every delivery now, right? And so it actually, I think it limits your development, which is why Ashwin is really interesting because he's one of the few bowlers. You know, by the end, Graham Swan was a fantastic bowler, right? But by the end, Graham Swan was basically bowling for bold in LBW every delivery. Whereas Ashwin is still a more rounded bowler than than anyone else, which is why he's so good um, at, in all conditions. What would have happened to Kumble if DRS would have been around? I think he actually would have been a less dynamic bowler because I think he would have just bowled for uh, bowl, uh, for bold and LBW. But it's, I think it's a fascinating discussion. But, but you're not wrong. I mean, I was looking at it the other day. I think Kumble bowled. I'm, th I'm trying to remember if this is just bold or not. But I think Kumble has the second most overs per no, actually, it might have been the most overs per game of any modern generation bowler. So I think Clary Grimmett has the record still. I think that's right. Um, and then Kumble is actually involved in more overs per game than Murali even was. And Murali basically bowled on his own. Um, just the um, ability to bowl 50 overs a test match, test after test. Forget everything else about Kumble, knowing that you are going to go in and the best case scenario is you're going to bowl for two and a half days straight. It's just bonkers right that no, no i don't think anyone else in the history of cricket has ever had to do that as often um as kumble did i agree i agree with you in that sense yes so yeah we, we'll wrap today's uh this today's discussion like i said in the beginning so jared and i will try to make this a regular feature we'll we try to think of things uh that uh 
you know nobody wants to talk about and uh, you know do these kinds of uh, deep dives i've already sent a few uh, suggestions uh, up uh, jared's uh, ali and let's see what he picks out of them because the easier thing for me is jared is a bigger nerd than i am when it comes to these things so it just makes my life easier so I, it, it's uh, it's a pleasure talking to you man uh, i look forward to our next chat no worries thanks for having me on All right guys we'll wrap today's podcast up as always all the details will be in the description of the podcast Jared's Twitter handle everything else the Substack so go support him if you can on Patreon for me you know the drill you can become a member on different platforms Patreon YouTube Fanmo or uh, or just support me on the audio platform or wherever YouTube I'll see you guys next time until then take care bye Sports Social Podcast Network